You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On April 1st, 2014, two Dutch students disappeared while hiking along the El Pianista Trail in Panama. The two young women had traveled from the Netherlands to Panama to help within some local communities, volunteer with local children, and learn a little bit of Spanish while also relaxing and taking in the sights. After being in Panama for just over two weeks, the two girls ventured out for a hike and shockingly did not return. There are numerous theories as to what happened in this case, a lot of interesting evidence and more questions than answers across the board. Welcome to Gone But Never Forgotten, episode 20, Gone Travelin', the mystery surrounding Lisanne Froon and Chris Kremers. And welcome back to GBNF. We hope that the time between episodes has found you well. It has been a couple weeks now since our last episode and our first ever update episode. So far, I would say that the response has been wonderful. Yes, lots of listeners and lots of positive comments. Always good. It's really something to watch our little podcast get a little bit bigger episode by episode. Yes, it has been very cool. And very flattering. It is always something to think about the fact that people all over the world are listening to our voices every day. Flattering and humbling. We want to thank each and every one of you out there that takes the time to listen to GBNF. We do this for you, and we love doing it. This week's episode is a little bit different, isn't it? Yes, it is. This case, well, this case is very interesting. Two girls go missing, and over time you do find out that these two women are unfortunately dead. But the evidence and the circumstances and everything to do with this case leaves open so many options and so many questions. We still don't even know for sure if this was a case that involved foul play or a hike gone wrong. This is one of these cases that just makes you think, what the hell happened here? Yeah, I think that part of the allure and confusion with this case also is that not too many people really have been to Panama. So we'll try to set the scene a bit for you also in this episode. Let's get down to business. Imagine spending six months of your life saving up as much money as humanly possible 
in order to go on a trip of a lifetime. That is what Lizanne Froon and Chris Kremers, two young Dutch students, did from 2013 to 2014. The two girls saved their money up for a six-week trip to Panama, where they intended to see some of the world, start learning a new language, and help out the locals in any way possible. For all intents and purposes, these two young women seem to have the best of intentions and the best of ideas for their stay in Panama. Unfortunately, though, things were not going to go as planned. Chris and Lisanne grew up in Amersfoort, Yurtek in the Netherlands. Chris was known to be an open, responsible, and incredibly creative young woman, while Lisanne was described as aspiring, optimistic, and intelligent. Lisanne was also a very passionate and athletic volleyball player. Chris had just finished her studies in cultural social education, specializing in art education, at the University of Utrecht. Lisanne had graduated for Deventer in the Netherlands with a degree in applied psychology. Both women had downsized prior to their trip, moving into a dorm room together in Amersfoort, and both were working at a cafe called In Den Kleinen Hap. They left for Panama on March 14, 2014, and their idea was to do some sightseeing and personal travel until they were to meet up with the program that they were going to be working with children in, in Boquette, which is a small town on the Caldera River in western Panama. However, there was a miscommunication between the women and their liaison in Boquette, which caused them to arrive a week earlier than they were expected. In a diary entry by Chris, she said that the conversation that had with their liaison in Boquette was, quote, rude and not friendly, unquote. She also noted that, quote, tomorrow they will try and get a hold of the head teacher. This was a real disappointment, unquote. The date of that diary entry from Chris was April 1st. The women had also made plans to do a little bit of sightseeing on that particular day. The women had so much desire for two main things on this trip. One, to volunteer with local children, and two, to see as much of Panama as they possibly could. As such, they also had made plans with a local guide on April 2nd so that they could hike and explore some of the more rugged and difficult areas and terrain. On April 1st, though, one day before the guided tour, the women decided that they wanted to explore the area around the Baru Volcano, an active volcano. The trail around the volcano is noted by locals and geographical experts not to be that difficult to traverse and explore as long as one stayed on the trails. The trail is about three miles in length and the vast majority of tourists that traverse this area have little to no problems doing so. Armed with that knowledge, along with the fact that Lizanne and Chris were pretty physically fit, they ventured off to do the trail and they even took a local dog with them named Azul, as he decided to follow the women as they left for their adventure. Later on in the day though is when things started to get weird, and I say started because many of the facts in this case were very weird from here on out. Later in the day, Azul, the local dog that had followed the women on their hike, returned to town alone and unharmed. 
but neither Chris nor Lizanne were with the dog, nor was there any sign of them. While this started to pique some of the people from the town, they decided to wait until the next day before contacting the authorities. While it was unusual that the two women did not return straight away from the Pianista Trail, it wasn't entirely uncommon neither. People believed that perhaps they were somewhere and had not been seen or had somewhere else to go. That sentiment started to change, though, when they missed their appointment with the tour guide on April 2nd. At this point, authorities were called and the families back home were called in the Netherlands, and they were getting increasingly anxious because they had not had any contact from their daughters in a couple of days, which was very unusual. On April 3rd, aerial searches and ground searches began in earnest to try and locate Lisanne and Chris. The searches would continue over the next few days, but unfortunately, the people conducting the searches were coming up completely empty. There seemed to be no sign of Chris and Lizanne and no evidence that they had even been on the trails and everywhere that they were looking. By the 6th of April, the parents of both women had also flown to Panama to help to find their children. They did not come alone either. Detectives from the Netherlands were there with them to aid in the searches. Immediately, rumors and theories started to come to light with the detectives from Panama, detectives from the Netherlands, and all of the local feet on the ground looking for Lizanne and Chris. One of the first things that obviously came up at this point was maybe the women had not disappeared or had something happen to them on the trails. It was starting to look more like there could have been a crime instead in town. The main driver for this was the fact that nobody could understand how these two women could disappear without so much as one piece of evidence showing where they had been or where they had gone. For 10 days, there were many people searching the trails and searching off the trails using foot patrol and dogs to chase down scent. All of these things were to no avail, though. By April 14th, the search teams were scaled down, but searches did continue on for 10 weeks after that, just on a smaller scale. Sadly, all that was left for everyone involved were questions, theories, and an utter and complete loss as to what happened to Lizanne and Chris. It wouldn't be until months after their disappearance that something would happen in the case and the search. A woman from the local Nagabe tribe was walking along the Culebra River when she claimed to find a backpack and she turned that backpack in. She claimed to have found the backpack in a rice paddy, which is a field that's for crops like rice and can grow in a, as a semi-aquatic crop. The backpack did indeed belong to Lizanne and Chris and contained sunglasses, a camera, two cell phones, $83, two bras, Lizanne's passport, and a water bottle. How haunting. What could have possibly caused it to have been missing for so long and then to just suddenly turn up? Well, sadly, that is a question that we still don't know the answer to and likely never will. But what is one of the things that is so haunting about this case, certainly? When you step back and you look at everything and there is still much more to come, nothing seems to make perfect sense here. 
No one theory seems to be without some kind of a hole in it. One of the things that seems the most strange at this point is that when the backpack was found, everything inside of the backpack was still dry months after the girls had disappeared. Wow. So I assume, though, that that was good news for the phones and the camera then. Correct. This, at long last, was finally evidence that at least gave the investigators a starting point, so to speak. They quickly got to work on the camera and the cell phones. One of the first things that was noticed is that the cell phones had in fact stayed alive with some charge for almost 10 days after the girls had gone missing. Also, between April 7th and April 10th, 77 attempts were made to try and gain access to Chris's phone to do signal checks or call police using 112, which is the emergency number in the Netherlands, and 911, the emergency number in Panama. Unfortunately, it was believed that because of the terrible reception, only one of those calls actually went through, and that one lasted for one second. We will break down the attempts that were made prior to April 7th. On April 1st, the day that the girls left for the hike, there was the first two attempts to dial 112 from both girls' phones. Chris's iPhone attempted to dial at 4.39 p.m. and Lisanne's Samsung attempted to call 112 at 4.51 p.m. Then, on April 2nd, Chris's iPhone attempted to call 112 at 8.14 a.m., while Lizanne's Samsung attempted three calls to 112 and 911 at 6.58 a.m., 10.53 a.m., and 1.56 p.m. On April 3rd, the iPhone attempted to dial 911 at 9.33 a.m., and that would be the last attempt to dial out to either emergency number. However, the Samsung would do signal checks at 1.50 p.m. and 4.19 p.m., and the iPhone would do a signal check at 4 p.m. On April 4th, the iPhone would do signal checks at 10.16 a.m. and 1.42 p.m. Then, on April 5th, two more signal checks from the iPhone and the Samsung would also do a signal check at 4.50 a.m. and then be powered on only for the battery to die at 5 a.m. Then, on April 6th, the iPhone would attempt to do a signal check twice, but it was also noted that a pin was not entered either of these times on the phone. Then, from April 7th to April 10th, as mentioned, 77 more attempts were made on the iPhone to try and get a signal. The final contact that seems to have been attempted on the iPhone then came on April 11th. The phone was turned on for a signal check at 10.51 a.m. and then was left on for one hour and five minutes and then switched off. This was the last use of either phone. So, as you can see, the information that came from the phone is very confusing to say the least. But now let's talk about the camera. The camera had 100 pictures that were taken since the women had left for the hike. Ten of the pictures were taken during the daytime on April 1st, the day that Chris and Lizanne had left town for the hike. The next 90 photos that were on the camera were taken during the night on April 8th, one week after they had left for the hike, between the hours of 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. 
The photos from April 1st showed that the girls had made it to their trail and that their hike at least started out as expected. The pictures showed the women smiling and seemingly having a good time. Nothing in those first 10 pictures was alarming at all to the police or anyone else. However, the 90 pictures that came a week after the girls had left were definitely far from normal. These are the pictures that occurred over a three-hour period one week after the women were last seen. Yes, most of the pictures are strange. There are photos of landscape in the dark, pictures of what appears to be trash, and pictures of branches. There was also a picture of toilet paper, and in one of the photos it appears to be a picture of Chris's hair and the back of her head. Um, I'll add a kind of a note that I... They, there is a lot of discussion online. Um, people have kind of blown up the image of the back of what is believed to be Chris's head. And some people think that there's a spot of blood. Um, others think that it's just a darker patch of hair. Interestingly, there was also one picture that was deliberately deleted off of the camera as well. The file could never be resolved from the camera. The photo that was deleted was the picture that would have been between the pictures taken on April 1st and the photos that were taken on April 8th. The photo was not deleted off the camera itself, it was deleted in some other way. What does that even mean? To be completely honest with you, I'm not sure. I couldn't really find anything more on that. I don't know if that means that someone had access that wasn't with the camera or on the trip or what exactly that means. It could be um, that they deleted something off of a cell phone if they were putting it onto a cloud or something. That would be my best guess. Maybe someone somehow could have gotten access to the pictures before the camera was found, but I'm just hypothesizing at this point. All right. Yeah, I can't make heads or tails of that either. Anyways, needless to say, when the backpack was found, searches continued anew with an idea of perhaps where the woman had been when they went missing. They had an area to work with. In a short amount of time, not far from where they found Lisanne's backpack, they found a pair of Chris's denim shorts. There was a long time rumor that the shorts were found neatly folded up and zipped up, but that was not that was proven to be false in 2021 when pictures were released that showed that the shorts were not found all neatly packed. For the longest time, I was super confused by the shorts. I was actually happy in a way when they disproved the rumor and didn't actually hear about that change with the shorts being folded versus not until I was researching for today's show. Two months later, while continuing to search as best they could in the area, finally they found even more evidence. And unfortunately, even though expected at this point, the evidence proved that the women had in fact died after whatever happened on that hike. The police found a pelvic bone and a boot that still had a human foot inside of it. Soon after that, more bones from each woman were found. There were definitely some very strange things with the bones as well. Lazanne's bones looked like they had decomposed naturally based on the amount of time that the women were missing. There were still bits of flesh left on her bones that they found. 
Chris's bones, however, were pure white and had the appearance of bones that had been bleached. Only two bones were ever proven to be Chris's, the pelvic bone and a rib bone. A total of 33 human bones were found scattered in the area. It was reported that the bones weren't just Lisanne and Chris's bones, but that they also belonged to three unknown people. Because of the shape of the bones that they found, and of course because they didn't have a lot to go with, forensic pathologists weren't ever able to determine a cause of death in either case. The official ruling by the authorities was that Lizanne and Chris's deaths were caused by a hiking accident. Despite the fact that there are many reasons to believe that this was exactly that, a case where two women ventured further into the jungle than the trail allowed and then faced some kind of trouble, whether that be getting lost, getting injured, or some combination of those two things, there are also many puzzling things about this case for sure. The thing that stands out to me the most, I think, is the difference in the bones that they found from each girl. How do they wind up so different when you would make the assumption that they died around the same time? I probably don't know enough about bones and the way that they decompose to give anything more than a guided opinion here. But yes, that's something that puzzles me as well. I read in a few places that skin and bones from Lausanne was found on, in August of 2014 was only at roughly the three-week stage of composition. Considering that that was found four months after she disappeared, that's definitely something strange. There are a lot of things that I read about this case that were baffling, some of which we haven't talked about because I try not to share too much of other people's opinions for fear of them coming across as fact when we report it. I think the main thing that's strange is that the remains and all evidence was found so far away from the trail that they were meant to be hiking on. Yeah, that one is strange also. Generally, you would think that venturing beyond a trail in a new country is something that you would think twice about. Definitely not a smart idea. Heck, even in your own country it is dangerous. Let alone somewhere where you don't probably know all of the animals and such that you would come across. For sure. That's actually where I kind of want to wrap this story up. Pianista is definitely a place that has a lot of unknowns that could have played into this case. These disappearances and even a lot of the evidence that people seem to think were doctored. Parasites in the jungle, dysentery, toxic plants, toxic fruits, venomous animals unknown insects, these are all things that are native to the area that could easily have contributed to everything that we know happened here. Not to mention, starvation is obviously something that could have come into play also. Whether one of the women was injured or not, at some point, these, these women needed to eat. And like you said, they likely would not know all of the plants in that area, even if they studied them before the trip. If they got hungry enough, it could simply be as simple as eating or drinking the wrong thing that could have led to their untimely end. Exactly. There are many theories around this case. Murder, of course, by a gang or one of the indigenous tribes of the area. Uh, being eaten by either cannibals or animals is definitely a possibility as well. 
there are, really are a plethora of things that could have played a part, small or large, in this case for sure. Uh, the reality is that we're likely never going to know what happened for certain. What do you think, Julie, based on the facts that we laid out here? I think that a hiking accident is definitely, um, like, obviously at the top of the list for what happened. But the thing that just keeps bothering me is the bone they found that said that it looked like it had been bleached. So I find, like, if it was a hiking accident, why was that bone in that condition? So, like, that's the only thing that's making me kind of think it could be, like, a murder or a crime as opposed to just an accident. Yeah, I guess one of the things there, too, is, like... The fact that they said that there were also bones in that area from three different people. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that stuck out to me. Yeah. Even I, I'll even say while we were recording, I kind of like didn't think about it when I was writing this this up. And it was like, oh, yeah, like it's kind of crazy that they would find other uh, people. Yeah. Bones from five people yeah. in this small area. Yeah. And I mean, sure, it could just be that. People did hike too far and animals got there and got to their remains kind of thing. But still, like, pretty strange. That is pretty strange. And I know you said, like, if they go off the trail, then those things could happen. But the trail itself was pretty simple. So it's, like, kind of an odd place for all these things to happen. Yeah, for sure. So what are you kind of thinking about this whole thing, Lance? I have to err on the side of saying that a terrible series of events happened here. In my opinion, the women went beyond the trail, and that was obviously the first mistake. I read from excerpts from their diaries that led me to believe that Lisanne had a previous injury also to her leg that she may have gotten while she was on the trip. But whether that's factual or not doesn't actually matter too much to me. Looking at call logs and the way that their phones were utilized, I actually think that something happened to Chris first. Chris's iPhone was the phone that was used after the Samsung battery died, and we started to see attempts to check the phone without entering a PIN number. So, I'm going to go out on that limb and say that this was Lisanne trying to access the phone, who perhaps was also previously injured. Staying with her friend, who might have been seriously injured, um, could have fallen somewhere or could have been dead. And she didn't know or remember the PIN number for her friend's phone. From there, I think that the elements probably took over. Whether that was weather, animals, or any of the other things that we mentioned earlier. I do not personally see the evidence here of anything outside of an accident or terrible series of events, like I said. But we still have the bleached bone. Yeah, we still have the bleached bone. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, so we'll just leave it there. And uh, I'll just say, if you're listening to this or have learned about this case in the past, let us know what you think happened. Just send us a message or let us know what you think of the episode and what you think may have happened to Chris and Lisanne. That seems like a good place to leave this episode for sure. We do have some other news. Oh yeah? I like news. What have you got for us? Well, we have a new patron. And we made some tip money this Woo! week. Woo! Nice. Who is our new patron? Her name is Michelle, and she lives in Ontario. She joined up as a member of our Coffee and a Donut tier, which is only $3 Canadian every month 
which is amazing. And literally just the cost of a coffee and a donut. Or less with the way that inflation is going. That's amazing. Welcome to our Patreon team, Michelle. So, Julie, what do you think Michelle tends to be doing when she's listening to our podcast? Especially now as we're living in the bone-chillingness of winter. Well, I think, considering how much snow we've had lately, I bet you she's going down the slopes on her skis, and then when she goes to warm up in her fancy warm chalet, she puts on GBNF just to kind of relax and warm up. Okay, for a second there, I thought you were going to say that Michelle was, like, listening to us while skiing, and I wasn't quite sure how safe that was. <laughs> so I'm glad it's in the chalet, Michelle. Enjoy, enjoy the episode while you're sitting by the fire warming up after you're yeah, skiing. Yeah, don't listen to us while you're skiing. Yeah, yeah that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> also, you said that we got a one-time donation as well. Yes, we sure did. We received a PayPal donation at our email address from Patrice Lafon. He gave us a very generous donation, and we will, of course, be using that to up our game and improve on everything that we do here at Gone But Never Forgotten. So, Lance, what do you think that Patrice is usually doing when he listens to our podcast? <sighs> All right, let's see. With a name like Patrice, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he's French. I mean, that's shocking, right? You think with a name like Patrice, he's French? Yeah, probably. Wow. Thanks for the uh, interjection there. I feel like I'm talking to a wall. So anyways, um, he I think that he goes on long road trips to Quebec often. So I think that Patrice is a long-haul trucker, and he makes that long, windy drive down the 401 to Quebec, and he keeps his mind going with the incredible stories that we share here at GBNF. Sounds like a good guess and a good deal to me. Thanks for the donation, Patrice. It's much appreciated, and we hope that you continue to listen to every single episode. Please remember that you can also join up and join our patrons over on Patreon to support the podcast at www.patreon.com forward slash GBNF podcast. Or you can always do a one-time donation. PayPal or e-transfer is what seems to work best in Canada at our email address, gbnfpod at gmail.com. Every little bit helps, and we are always more thankful than you will ever know. Absolutely. We love this thing that we have going on here, and we hope to continue to do it for a long, long time to come. For now, we will bid you adieu, though, until next time. Thank you for listening to Gone But Never Forgotten.